Welcome to the Revive Network podcast. On this episode, we bring you a message from the archives of our Refresh Leaders Forum. I really feel that the Lord's binding some things up today. Sometimes you just need to be bound up, you know, there's loose things, we're struggling, we're weary and war-torn, and the Lord says, come to me and let me bind you. Amen. Well, I'm just going to do a quick, I'm going to do a quick little intro of myself because I don't know if everybody knows who I am, and uh, I think it's good to kind of get a feel for who this person is up here. Um, so, such a privilege to be able to share and, and just kind of pour my heart out what God's been pouring into me. Uh, my name's Manny. That's actually not my name. That's my nickname, but Emmanuel's the name. Emmanuel Dexter. I'm from Liberty Church in Rotherham. That's where it's happening, in Rotherham. Uh, but uh, I came over to England seven years ago with Youth with a Mission, and uh, I was in London, and we, uh, London, uh, YWAM works, I don't know if there's anybody who's done Youth with a Mission or familiar, but the first three months are Bible school and the, or Bible training, and then the next three are outreach and ministry. And you usually go on mission to different locations, and, and we did three locations. We went to... Um, Copenhagen, Denmark, a beautiful city. We went to Tenerife uh, in the Canary Islands. Yeah, that was enjoyable. Actually, really hard place to, to do mission. Um, and then we ended up in Rotherham in South Yorkshire. And I'd never been there. But I, I, when I got there, my initial thought was, this place is cold. It was January. It's hard. It's dark. I'm glad we're only here for two weeks. <laughs> and here I am seven years later, still there. God opened the door and cut a long story short. He said, this is a door I've opened. Are you going to step through it? I was like, I don't know if I want to, but okay, we'll step through. And, and the Lord really has done amazing things there. Um, I, I've, some of you have heard this part of my story before as well. I grew up in a family uh, my parents were both Christians. They were, they were pastoring a, a small storefront church in a small community, uh, very broken, broken people, maybe 12 to 13 people. That was like the maximum we ever got to. So I kind of grew up thinking, man, this is tough. Like ministry's really hard. And it is really hard in different seasons. It's always hard, but there's grace. But my grandmother was an amazing woman. I, gotta tell, I always tell her story wherever I go because it inspires. There's something on her story. Uh, my grandmother was uh, an amazing woman. She uh, went to Bible school at the age of 63. My, my grandfather died at the age of 61. And when she was sick, my, when my grandmother was 61, and she decided, I'm going to go to Bible school. Um, amazing. Uh, then when she was finishing Bible school at the age of 65, God call, gave her a vision of women dressed in saris, and she knew that God was calling her to India at the age of 65. So she, she dropped everything, and as a single 65-year-old woman, she went to India for 15 years and spent the better part of her later years in India. What a woman, I tell you. Uh, you think that's cr crazy, just the next part's worse or better, I'm not sure which one. Uh, she came back from India because th the situation was getting dangerous. She was in Arissa, the state of Arissa. If anyone knows anything about what happened there around the time that my grandmother left, there was people being martyred and different things. 
the Christians, uh, the Hindus were getting very violent. She left India, came back to the States, thought, right, I'm done. Uh, and, and, and then she was in a prayer meeting. Prayer meetings are dangerous places, you know. I would love the church to get back to the, the revelation that prayer meetings are the most exciting meetings in the church calendar because that's really oftentimes where God releases fresh revelation. And if you're not living in fresh revelation, it's probably because you're not praying enough. You're not positioning yourself in prayer. Anyway, she was in this prayer meeting in a little town in uh, New England in America, and God hit her, and she went down as an 80-year-old uh, woman in a prayer meeting, and God gave her another vision. Uh, this time, the vision was a white flag with a red circle in the middle, and tears were pouring out of the red circle. And she said, Lord, I can't do this. Uh, my grandmother grew up in the 1940s in uh, what was then a very difficult time for the world, but for Americans uh, and the Japanese didn't really connect well in that time in history. Uh, and uh, she was like, I don't want to, I can't do this. There was a bit of racism inside of her that, she, you know, it wasn't, she didn't call it racism, but that's what it was. A little bit of bigotry and a bit of bitterness and unforgiveness. And God said, no, you can do this. I'm sending you. At 81, she went to Japan. She spent four years in Japan. She wrote a book called It's Never Too Late with God. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. It's there. Uh, I think they're about to republish it. Uh, she's, she went in to be with the Lord a few years ago, but what a woman. Now, now I share, there's something on that story, right? You feel the, the, the Lord, the, you feel the anointing on that. That's because God's still calling people to serve him, whatever season. You know, we write ourselves off and other people write us off for whatever reason, but God really will use you if you're available. And it's amazing what you can get done in a little amount of time. What is it, 20 years that she had from India to Japan, and she did a lot. Orphanages all over Orissa and, and Bible colleges and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Indian and Japanese people. What about you? And what is God saying to you? And are you writing yourself off? Are you ready to retire? Or are you ready to just keep going with the Lord? Um, so anyway, Helen Dexter was, she's my hero and uh, when she died, I wasn't really sad because I was like, man, I know I'm going to see her. She's like right there in the, in the heroes of the faith, in the great cloud. She's, and I actually felt closer to her because the great cloud of witnesses, there's a sense that they're observing our race. And anyway, you can just use your imagination a little bit, but it's, it's pretty cool. All right, let's pray and get into it. Open your Bibles to Matthew 14 and I'll pray for us. And we'll get into it. Father, we, we love you. We love your presence. We love what you're doing this morning. We love what you're doing in our nation right now, Lord, the nations of the earth. We love how your spirit's moving and there's an acceleration and there's an expectation. And Jesus, we just, we just say we want to be a part of it. We thank you that we're already there. But Lord, keep using us in this most significant time of history. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, Jared, uh, well, actually, um, oh man, names. 
Not Johnny. Chris. Chris. Chris texted me a few months ago. He's like, hey, you're going to have a 15 minutes because they're going to do a, a few things. And, and then I came today and Jared's like, actually, we're changing things. Holy Spirit's changing things. Uh, so I'm like, oh, cool. I have a few extra minutes, um, which is good. I really have something in my heart from Matthew 14. This chapter is incredible. I'm not going to read it all for the sake of time. But this is, I would argue, one of the most intense days in Jesus' life. Um, it was a wild day. Anybody have uh, any wild days in ministry? Uh, for all the right reasons, God's doing amazing things. That's, that's a wild day. And then there's the, the days that are wild for all the wrong reasons, because all the stuff that shouldn't happen and you don't want to happen, happens. And sometimes all the good stuff happens, and the bad stuff happens on a particular day, and that's a, that's a crazy day. But I don't know if some people have maybe felt that recently. I've actually felt that kind of tension recently. So much bad stuff is happening on a particular day. And then within a few hours, so much good stuff. And I get to the end of the day, I'm like, oh my goodness, that was a wild ride. And that is a little bit of what God's called us to. There is so much joy and heart-wrenching stuff that we're going through all the time. My family lives a long ways away. Some days I wake up and I think, I just want to be with my family. I can't be with them because they're on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, I've just got to get, I've got to get something of God that day in order to get through that day. And, and you guys face that in different situations, different emotions that we in, interact with. And, and some days there's no reason for it, but you just wake up feeling low and feeling heavy, and there's different reasons for that. We prayed into some of that already. There is a spiritual war going on every moment of every day. We shouldn't be surprised when things get tough, but we are really shocked sometimes. Even though the Bible says you are in battle. Problem is we're not in battle mode, even though there's a battle, which is why we sometimes get knocked off our feet. Anyway, um, Matthew 14 is one of Jesus' most crazy days. I'm going to just tell you what happened for the sake of time. Um, I don't know if I'm much of a storyteller, but I'll give it a shot here. Uh, this day was started off with John's best friend, or Jesus' best friend, John the Baptist, getting uh, martyred. Now, now, that's huge, actually. The writer kind of just mentions it, but it's huge for Jesus, because it was his only friend who really got him. John was the only one that really got Jesus. And I'll tell you right now, Jesus was the only one that really got John. <laughs> Nobody else really understood this wild guy who ate locusts and wild honey and dressed in camel hair with just a leather belt. And he just was in the wilderness. People thought he was wild and crazy, anointed, but wild and crazy. Jesus understood him and John understood Jesus. And Jesus starts this day of ministry with shock and grief. Anybody ever started a day of ministry with, I just felt that was actually for somebody today, that there's somebody grieving and, and Jesus is there with you, not just in the sense that he's there with you physically, he, he gets the emotions of the, of the thing. He feels loss. He's felt it. He, he, we know our Lord wept when Lazarus died. But in this situation, Jesus is so overwhelmed. He says, I just got to get away. And I've felt that before and you've felt that before. I just got to get out of this noisy situation that I've been called to for a minute and be alone. 
And that's what Jesus wants to do. But how many know in ministry, just because you want to, doesn't mean you get to. Uh, just because you need to, doesn't mean you get to. And Jesus had this situation uh, and he gets away for a minute, just about to breathe and probably pray and talk to the father. And then the multitude finds him. And uh, it, it, incredible how Jesus reacts. His heart He's got heartache from the, from the grief of John, but then the, the actual original language says his heart started to ache with compassion for the people. Such an amazing man is our Jesus, right? Um, and he says, right, we're going to have a, a healing service. And he actually heals all the sick people. Now, that doesn't sound that intense until you read a few verses later and you realize there was 5,000 men there and women and children. And he healed all their sick. And there's no indication that the disciples helped him. I don't know if where they, you know, some days they were there and some days they weren't. Sometimes they were ready and sometimes they weren't. Just like us. Uh, but Jesus was always ready in season and out of season. And on this particular day, it seems as though his disciples kind of observed uh, and, and maybe assisted him. They were maybe catching and stuff or whatever. Uh, but the point is, um, Jesus did a lot of work with a whole lot of grief in his heart. Amazing. Incredible. I, I actually have been going through a, a personal grief in my own family uh, this week, and I was like, wow, this is so encouraging for me. Um, so that takes hours, right? Healing ministry so, looks so good from the outside. I don't know if anybody's involved or been involved in a healing ministry. My dad got saved in a Catherine Coleman uh, crusade in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, my dad was totally bound up in drugs, alcohol. He was on the verge of clinical depression. Like he was a mess of a guy. And my grandmother, Helen Dexter, dragged him to a Catherine Coleman service. Uh, and she was in Pittsburgh, based in Pittsburgh for a long time, if anybody knows anything about Catherine Coleman. And she, her ministry headquarters were there. My dad was involved. Well, there was a Teen Challenge connected there as well, and my dad ended up in the Teen Challenge. But that night, she was healing everybody. People were getting saved. My dad actually had an opportunity to go down in the basement of the meeting afterwards, and they were literally uh, wheelchairs and uh, crutches stacked up from all the people that had left him there and walked out of the meeting. But I'll tell you this, while it looks glamorous, it's intense. And it's, it wears on you physically. The amount of, to pray for people, Jesus, I don't even know how he did it. There's 5,000 men there, I don't know how many were sick, but you can guess a good percentage had some problems or just wanted the master to touch them. Because if someone's healed, even if you're not needing healing, you want the guy who's doing the healing, you want Catherine Coleman to get her hands on you. All right, and, and that's just the way it is. So Jesus would have been weary after this healing meeting, not just physically, but emotionally, drained and feeling many deep things. And then after the, fee, after the healing service, Jesus initiates a feeding service. I mean, I'd have been ready to send him home and say, listen, I don't, you guys have food at home? I'm tired. And Jesus had this huge capacity to love people. I don't have it, by the way. Does anybody else have it? 
Because if you do, please, I, I, afterwards, I need to talk to you and get something from you. I, I find myself so, so quick to get out of the ministry opportunity. And I'm praying about that because I, I see something in the Lord Jesus that I don't see in myself. I mean, we always do, right? There's so many things we see in him that we don't see in ourselves. But we've, we can pray about that. You know, some people just say, I'm not pastoral. And I'm one of those guys, by the way. Uh, I've said, I think I've said this to Jared before and other people. I struggle. I just kind of, if people don't listen, I just say, well, you didn't listen. I'm out. And, and you need to figure it out. And, and, and Jesus did that sometimes, but most of the time Jesus was, he, he was more tender than I usually am. So anyway, Jesus decides to have a feeding service. Now, again, the healing service must have taken hours. A feeding service took hours. To cut a long story short, he feeds them all, right? We know the disciples helped distribute the food. There's probably seven to 10,000 people actually there uh, in, in, in all together. And uh, Jesus feeds them all. And it's pretty amazing, right? Like, I mean, this is a heck of a day of ministry, right? This is incredible what Jesus just pulled off. But then Jesus does something really strange. He sends his disciples away before the multitude. It's in verse 22. He sends his disciples away and then he single-handedly disperses the crowd. I just think this is nuts. I mean, he can't expect us to do I mean, he can't be, I mean, I don't know what he's expecting. I don't know what the Holy Spirit was thinking by putting this in the Bible, but it's there. Uh, anyway, and he, that must have taken, so all three of those situations must have taken a few hours. It, it, really, right? We know we're in leadership. We know how hard it is to get five people out of our church sometimes. Sunday night in my church, can't get them out. They're just talking. I'm like, guys, time to go. Lights go off. They're still talking. You know, all the subtle hints to say it's time to go. And they won't go. Uh, and these are, this is seven to 10,000 people. And Jesus sends them all away by himself. And then the most dr dramatic moment happens. I'm going to read it to you in Matthew 14, verse 22 to 25. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain to pray by himself. Anyway, we'll stop there. Incredible. <laughs> uh, there's a few things I could bring out. There's many things I can't bring out because it's not for the sake of time. But um, anyway, real quick, the story goes on. Jesus doesn't sleep that night. He prays till the third watch of the night. How? Why? <laughs> What motivated this kind of behavior? Uh, and then he walks out on the water, rescues Peter. Well, P he calls Peter out, then he rescues Peter. Um, how, how, that's, a that's a preach right there. Jesus calls us out, and then he has to rescue us from what he called us out into. He calls us out of the boat, out of safety. We walk on the water, we're doing well, and then he has to actually rescue us from what he called us to. Anyway, he gets into the boat. He goes the other side to Gennesaret. And in Gennesaret, he has a revival service. This is a 24-hour period. I, I had to read it a few times to say, what in the world? I can't believe I missed this. And I can't believe how awesome Jesus is. <laughs> I can't believe how awesome Jesus is. But I do believe this is here for us for a reason. I don't believe it's just so that we can admire how amazing Jesus is. It's really there for that reason. To say, wow, he's amazing. But there really is something in this for us to enter into 
so that we can exist in some kind, this kind of reality. So the main part of this whole story is in verse 23. He went up on the mountain to pray. There's two things I want to point out to you. And the first one is this, the intensity of the the day, emotionally and physically. I mean, I can't imagine a more intense day personally. I've never experienced anything like it before. And I would never put myself in anything like that. Uh, I would get out of it as soon as possible. And I would delegate as much as possible. Um, And Jesus didn't do any of those things. But the other thing I want you to know is not just the intensity of the day, but the intensity of Jesus' decision to position himself in the presence of the Father. And what I want to say to you is this. The intensity of your ministry assignment has to be matched by an intensity of intimacy. The intensity of your ministry, maybe in this season, not just your ministry, but the intensity of what's going on emotionally within you has to be, you have to match it with an intensity of intimacy with the Lord. If you don't do that, that's the recipe for burnout. Listen, burnout isn't from doing ministry really hard and running hard after Jesus. You never get burned out from running hard after Jesus. What you do is you get burned out by running hard after ministry. And that was never your primary calling. Your primary calling was always to run hard after Jesus. So running hard after Jesus is never going to burn you out. It's always going to energize you because those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings like eagles. It's a perfect contradiction to say you burn out from running hard after Jesus. But if you run hard after ministry, you will burn out. So the intensity of your ministry has to be matched by an intensity of intimacy. And you got to make the decision because here's the problem. I am really good at intimacy before I preach. I'm really good at fasting before the missions trip, before the revival service, before the conference. I'm great at seeking the Lord for breakthrough. But afterwards, there's something in me. I think it's, it's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> It's a demon probably (laughs) saying it's time to switch off now. Now, listen, I love what God's done in the last 20 years on bringing the emphasis of rest back into the church. I love it because we need to rest and the Bible is full of rest. Okay. It's not a church idea. It's a Bible idea. It's a God idea, but we just, we just kind of had the revelation recently because everyone was burning out. We didn't know why they weren't resting enough. But I don't want that theology of rest to interfere with me capitalizing on momentum. You see, when God's moving, we, we can't switch off our spirit to what he's doing. After the meeting's over, I, I, my personal example is I love American football. And amazingly, English people, a lot of English people, I'm not saying you guys do, I wouldn't speak that over you necessarily, love American football, some English people. And then they have this thing called the NFL Game Pass, and I get it, and I can watch it uh, on Sunday night after church, on, you know. But then there's moments, I've been hearing the Spirit whisper to me, and I, listen, I'm not trying to bind anybody in legalism or anything. That's not my point. My point is not that. But my point is to highlight something that I think the Spirit's highlighting in this season. It's an intense season. How many know this is an intense season of history? Not just in the church, but in the world, there are 
everything is accelerating towards the coming of Jesus and a whole lot of other stuff before that happens. Um, and and uh, the Holy Spirit has been whispering, Manny, because sometimes God's moving in such a precious way in our church. Uh, and I go home and I'm just buzzing in the spirit, but I'm tired in the physical. I'm, my body's tired from a day of ministry, but my spirit's alive and buzzing. And, and sometimes I just, I think I cut it off. I cut off the, the spirit a little bit by just saying, well, I'm done. I did what I needed to do. And now I'm just going to relax. And don't get me wrong. Relaxing's okay. I'm pleased. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the Lord's saying, I'm still here. There's a whisper from the spirit saying, Hey, I'm still here. And actually I know what you need. And yeah, American football is great or whatever your thing is, but actually I need to, you need to process the day with me. Listen, this is the recipe to the antidote to burnout, processing the day with the Lord every day. Jesus had emotions that were deep and painful at the start of the day. Then he had emotions of joy. He was all over the spectrum of emotions on this particular day. And I'll tell you this, he wanted to spend time with the Father. Yes, he delighted in the Lord. That in itself is a huge challenge. But not just did he delight in the Father, he needed to process the day with the Father. He had a lot of emotions. He needed to process with God. And I, I think sometimes the reason we find ourselves in confusion and sometimes find ourselves in weariness is not because we slept enough, because we often do. I'm very intentional about my sleeping patterns, even more so the older I get. And some of you probably understand this. You know, we're, we're changing. As we, go, as we get older, we have to change our patterns. I want to be as intentional about, sleep, about prayer as I am about my sleep. Here's the challenging, radical thing about this passage and this part that I'm sharing with you. Jesus valued prayer more than he valued sleep. That's not to say sleep and rest isn't important, but there is a priority system between the two and one is more important. I think of Psalm 132. How many of you know Psalm 132? David's vow. I don't know if you know it, but if you know it, just turn there. It's really awesome. Um, David's vow in Psalm 132, really powerful. Psalm 132, verse three to five, Jesus, uh, David said this at one point in his life. And the, the writer of this Psalm is not David, but they're commenting on David's vow. And they said, this is what David said. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Now, I'm not saying rest isn't important and sleep isn't important, but I really think processing with the Lord is the thing that's going to keep us through the journey of ministry, through the journey of all the emotions we're going to face on a given day or in a given season. Now, some of you aren't struggling today, but you're in a season of struggle. And I'll tell you the key is to talk to the great physician, to talk to the great counselor, to talk to the great psychologist, Jesus, to spend time in his presence at the end of the day. And you might have a whole lot lot of questions about what 
happen that day. But it's not about talking, okay, it's not about talking to your best friend, your human friend. And uh, I'm engaged and I'm working on that part. But, uh, uh, and I know that's going to be awesome to have someone to process with, but that person isn't going to be able to unravel the different things. But Jesus can. We, can, we so quickly in every season find a substitute for Jesus. It's so easy to find somebody to substitute our intimacy with, and Jesus has to be our primary partner in terms of processing and, and, and intimating what's really going on in our heart. Does that make sense? Now listen, prayer is so key. I, I really feel a burden in my heart to fire the church up to pray. There's many people around the world doing this. I feel like I'm just one of these little voices doing it. But let me just say this. Jesus built his life on prayer, not his ministry, his life. That's why he sustained himself so well. And that's why John wrote, I mean, you look at this day, you say, how could a man do such a thing? And it's so intense on every level, but he sustained it. And then he woke, he didn't even sleep and he went to do the next revival service and he was firing on all cylinders. And then John writes at the end of the book of John, it says, there's so, he did so many things in a three-year period, you have to, there's not enough books in the world to write about it. Well, if you read that, you understand why. If he was doing that on a regular basis, you understand why they couldn't fill the volumes of the books, because he did so much. He did, it was impossible what he did, but I'll tell you this, unless we are men and women of prayer, we'll never have that kind of momentum. And, and, and momentum I'm not talking about moments of momentum. I'm talking about consistent, sustained momentum. That comes through prayer. That comes through seeking the Lord. That comes through every day saying, I'm not going to the comfort of my bed until I've processed what happened today with the Lord. So real quick, let me give you an Old Testament example of this, then we'll pray. Is that okay? I think I got time. Is that okay, Jared? It's 12 o'clock, so I got to hustle here. Uh, <laughs> you guys don't use that word over here, but whatever. <laughs> Maybe in a different context. I got to be careful. Um, 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah is on Mount Carmel. You know the story, right? I don't have to read the story. One of the most significant days in Israel's history and one of the most intense days in Israel's history in terms of ministry and outpouring and breakthrough and revival. I mean, he's facing off against 850 prophets of Baal and Asher. Uh, Ahab's there. The whole nation's there. The face-off, it's, it's, it's Elijah against everybody. <laughs> uh, of course, a man with God is, is the majority, right? We know that. Um, but the point is, it was a long day in the sun of the Middle East. The prophets of Baal, until the, the evening sacrifice around three o'clock, were doing their dancing thing, and Elijah was taunting them, which prophets aren't supposed to do that kind of thing. Men and women of God are not supposed to do that kind of thing. Uh, anyway, that's another conversation for another time. I mean, he even said, is your God on the toilet? I mean, it, amazing. I mean, I just think I wouldn't, I'd be a little bit afraid to say that. He was from home. He was from another part of the world. Uh, and then God's fire comes down, right? Consumes the altar. I mean, you've never seen anything like this, neither have I. They'd never seen anything like this. Massive move of God. It burns up the water, burns up the rocks. There's melted rocks that you can find on Mount Carmel now to prove this happened. Amazing. And then uh, he single-handedly kills all the prophets of Baal and Asher, 850 of them. Elijah. Now, here's the key. 
Elijah then, after it's all said and done, this massive move of God, huge momentum in the nation right now. And there's a, there's a picture of two responses, Ahab and Elijah. Elijah says to Ahab, Ahab, go eat and drink, for I hear the sound of heavy rain. Now, I just want you to think about what just happened and think about Ahab just goes. He just says, right, cool, let's go celebrate. Ahab needed to repent, first of all. That's another conversation. Ahab needed to get on his face. The whole nation needed to get on their face before the Lord, the God of fire. But he wanted to just go eat and drink. And God gave him that option. And Ahab did it. But then it says, Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. All the momentum in the spirit. And Elijah said, I'm going to capitalize on this right now. I am going to make the most of what's happening what God's doing. I'm not going down with Ahab to party. I'm not going to celebrate the moment. I'm going to capitalize on momentum. You hear me? It's so easy to celebrate the moment. Oh my gosh, we had a great service. God, you're so good. Whew, turn on Netflix and let's chill. That's okay. Like, I'm not saying you can't do that. Okay. Don't hear me wrong. And I'm not saying there's not a moment to do that. So don't go there. But, but what I'm saying is, Is there not a man? Is there not a woman that will say, I just want a little more of the Lord? Jesus did it. Elijah did it. Moses did it. All the people stayed down and he went up, right? Joshua went up too. And I guess that's really what I feel the Lord saying to us today in this room, but across the church of Jesus Christ, really in the West, because we're the ones that struggle to pray the most, I think, out of, the, out of the church right now. Okay, it's a busy season. It's an intense season. Will you match the intensity of the season and what's going on in history and in your own personal life with an intensity of intimacy? Thanks for listening. If you would like to know more about the Revive Network, please visit www.revivechurch.co.uk